Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi there, and welcome to the Explaining History podcast. Um, the thing I want to talk about today is the life of Friedrich Engels, Karl Marx's um, great collaborator and the writer with Marx of the Communist Manifesto, um, and his own work uh, based around his experiences in Manchester at the height of the Industrial Revolution. Um, and his his own influence, his own influence um, on uh, British social and radical uh, reformers of the nineteenth century and the um, labour movement of the twentieth century is considerable, and you you can see echoes of his um, his writing throughout much of what has been written on the industrial revolution. Um, throughout the period, uh, the first critiques of uh, industrialism and industrialization, and the uh, talk of the um, condition of the working class um, stem from um, Engels' observations. There is a school of thought, um, a entirely separate historiography, that argues that despite the suffering of um, the English working class during the industrial the industrial revolution, overall um, living standards by the end of the nineteenth century had significantly improved. Taking issue with the idea that it, it was all bad, um, I think it's always interesting with these arguments to. Um, to look at what's really being said here, um, that yeah, our, our, on average, perhaps living standards had improved, but the question always is uh, at what cost, and who, in the view of uh, of Engels, had been supplying the labour and supplying the surplus value, um, the surplus labour value or profits uh, for capital. Okay, so without further ado, let's talk some more. Let's talk about who Engels actually was. 
Well, both Marx and Engels come from reasonably privileged backgrounds. Marx's father was a vintner. He owned uh, vineyards. He was a, a German Jew who had converted uh, to Protestantism in order to be uh, more assimilated. Um, the uh, Jewish part of Marx's life is fairly a fairly minor affair. It's not something that is uh, is, is a significant issue when, th- when thinking a- about Marx. Really, he had um, moved a- um, away from all uh, forms of kind of religious observance a- as a young man, and the same is true of uh, of Engels. Um, Engels' family were in the cotton business. They were well-to-do cotton manufacturers, extremely wealthy cotton manufacturers in, in point of fact, um, and uh, very um, uh, pious Protestants. Um, the uh, decision by Engels not to pursue his faith and to declare himself uh, an, an atheist um, greatly upset his mother. Engels um, was typical of a generation of um, young German men who lived within what at that point was was the um, German Confederation. Um, The set of states that had been established by the Congress of Vienna, Um, it had replaced the Confederation of the Rhine, which was created by Napoleon, and um, that in turn, had replaced the Holy Roman Empire. So if you were a young man growing up uh, in the midst of this political change, um, in this successor state that had replaced the state that had replaced the state that had lasted for a thousand years, um, you might possibly be susceptible to new political ways of thinking. The... Um, as the the structure of the world beneath your feet has been profoundly shaken. Um, Engels found um, a philosopher that suited him, and it suited Marx as well, um, and the uh, person who they connected with was Hegel, G.W.F. Hegel. Um, there's probably not the room in this podcast, nor perhaps the expertise for me to go too deeply into um, everything Hegel talked about. But uh, one of the basic fundamental uh, principles of Hegelianism that translates itself into Marx is this idea, this is almost his eschatological idea, of history being a, um, a journey or a, or a set of processes and that um, essentially that history moves through phases. Marx fully agreed with this. Hegel said that uh, you you have your sort of your plateaus and then your your kind of um, upward ascents. So there is um, the Middle Ages, for example, is um, a plateau where you know not much is changing for a long period of time and reach a certain level of civilization, and then we have to go up the slope again. Do to with new innovation, new political ideas, new uh, concepts and thoughts. But I think Hegel believed that that slope, that ascent to the summit, was extremely bloody. But once you get there, it really is worth it. And this is a uh, an idea that underscores 
um, many of the the kind of the revolutionary thinkers of the twentieth century that um, the the payoff in the end will be so good that it really will justify all the hardship along the way, and it is the likes of Lenin and Mao, who and Stalin obviously, who decide who will pay the price for utopia, um, and what suffering is necessary in order to reach the promised land. Reading between the lines, Engels seems to have been the family nuisance. He was raised in the kind of the growing industrial town of Barman in Prussia, and he he's sent away to Bremen to work in the family business first, and then he's sent to the army to become an artillery officer. His mother writes pained letters to him, pleading with him, to abandon these new atheist ideas that he's developing and to come home and essentially be a good boy. And he um, is uh, part of this kind of generation that um, participates in, well, he doesn't personally um, participate in, but he's part of the generation that does participate in the 1848 revolutions and there he's part of a, I guess you could call it kind of a, a pan-European um, generation of educated and philosophically engaged uh, young men. Mainly, it is uh, it is men uh, at this period in in time. Um, there are women who are, are in that position, but by and large, in the kind of the patriarchal world of the early nineteenth century. Um, politically engaged young women found far fewer outlets to uh, um, become politically active. He first met Karl Marx in 1842 and they apparently didn't get on particularly well. And they met again two years later in uh, in Paris um, at this point where neither of them are, are welcome in Germany for their um, subversive views. The, the 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 founding ideas, the, the founding kind of tenets of um, Marxism um, are, are not made by this point, by the way. It really has to be a sojourn in um, Britain that brings that about. Engels was sent to Manchester to uh, work in the, the family business there. Um, the cotton um, industry, uh, it, the world capital of that was Manchester by the 1840s and this reflected Britain's control over the, the global cotton industry. Um, he um, was um, situated at the Victoria Mill in Manchester which was um, dedicated towards the manufacture of sewing thread um, and he um, met and fell in love with um, a, um, a Manchester, a working class Manchester woman, uh, Mary Burns, who um, he, he had a relationship with for the next two decades till um, 1863 when she, she died. Uh, and she initially is his kind of native guide. Um, she shows him around the... Um, the roughest um, and the hardest uh, hit districts of uh, Manchester. She was from Salford, um, and she, her father, had been a dyer. Oh, was a dyer in the um, uh, the cotton mills, 
and um, so she knew um, exactly what it was, what life was like for the poorest of the poor in Manchester, um, and the, um, uh, the the two of them were always opposed to marriage. Marriage was a bourgeois institution. It was how um, modern capitalist society created nuclear families in which to create workers, and uh, it was a, a, a tool of class oppression in, in their view. Um, the, um, uh, the, the view is it's, it's difficult sometimes to, sit, to know precisely what, what Engels' thoughts um, were as he, he didn't write uh, a great deal uh, about her, and obviously much of what we have to go on with Engels is, comes from his uh, voluminous written works. But what it does show is, is um, how engaged Engels was with the, this foreign country that he had um, arrived in, and how sort of, sort of fascinated and appalled he was by the condition of um, England's working class. Now, it's not to say that there weren't poor people in Prussia. Of course, there were. Um, there was industrialisation in Prussia as well. But industrialisation had been going on for a lot longer in uh, Britain. Um, and industrialisation had gone to far greater... Um, had uh, gone to far greater... Uh, heights in Britain than it had anywhere else in the world. The um, urban conurbation of Manchester was perhaps one of the biggest cities in the world at that point, and um, it had sprung up from uh, a relatively few uh, small villages and towns. So um, the thing that Engels was seeing, really, was the process of the development of capitalism right before his very eyes. This fitted in with some of the um, things that Hegel had already been saying about transitioning one from one phase of history to another, um, and you know the evidence seemed to be all around both Engels and, and later Marx when uh, Marx comes to to Great Britain too. What Engels can see here is he refers to Manchester as a shock city. Um, and says that what he can see is polarisation. What he's talking about is the development of class. He says that there are mill owners and workers, and they are polarised into two groups that are irreconcilable, antagonistic, and that they're um, the... Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Uh, things that the mill owners want, i.e. surplus um, labor value or profit, and the things that the workers want, fair pay and decent living conditions, are incompatible with one another. And this becomes the foundation for uh, much of uh, Marxist, uh, Marx and Engels' work later on, that the idea of if this, pit, this journey through history that Hegel is talking about is punctuated by anything at all, it's punctuated by endless class struggle. Um, that um, the class struggle is you know, sometimes hidden, sometimes um, exposed, and all, but always ongoing. But it was more than just Hegel pouring into um, Engels' work and, and then Engel and, Engels and Marx's work. Um, they benefited from the uh, English economists and Scottish economists of the 18th century, people like Adam Smith. Um, they were very keen on understanding how it is capitalism seemed to work. Capitalism, by the way, was never a phrase thought up by capitalists. This was this is um, a term of uh, Marxist analysis. Um, people who originally formulated what the the new um, commercial and industrial world that was developing in the eighteenth century, they formulated what it actually was. Um, they didn't refer to it specifically in a title as anything at all. It was referred to, there was talk of trade and markets and mercantile activity, um, but it never gets a, an actual name. Free market capitalism is uh, as a critique of the left. And it's interesting that the uh, its proponents these days, all politicians on the, uh, the right of the political spectrum, uh, talk about this, they constantly harp on about capitalism, they don't realise the term is, is always used, always coined by its opponents. There you go. Um, they, so yes, they, they um, examined the works of um, Adam Smith and they you know, gained a great deal, um, both Marx and um, Engels gained a great deal from, from reading this. And um, the two men were in no doubt that, um, say what you like about capitalism, it has immense transformative powers. You know, it can uh, bring, it has brought about the greatest revolution in human affairs that so far had ever been seen. They uh, examined the works of people like Pierre-Joseph Proudhon who, um, and, and Fourier uh, in Paris, um, who were the, perhaps the leading revolutionary thinkers of the day in Europe prior to Marx uh, and, and Engels. Um, um, but their uh, 
subversion, their take on um, revolutionary thought was really far more anarchist and uh, against the notion of uh, organised or centralised power at all. Um, Proudhon famously said that he believed all property was theft, that originally, um, if you have any material resources at all, i.e. land, well, land had never belonged to anybody in the first place, or perhaps back as far back as you can go in human history, it had belonged to everybody and nobody. And land ownership involved some kind of theft at some point along the way, some sort of enclosure act. Um, so he said that you know no property was particularly leg- legitimate I- I- in any way. But out of that um, culture um, of revolutionary writing and thinking throughout 19th century Europe, it's the Communist Manifesto that really has the greatest impact. If we go back for a moment and look at um, Engels' work on the condition of the English working class that he published in 1845, he starts the book by saying the following things. He says, The condition of the working class is the real basis and point of departure for all social movements of the present, because it is the highest and most unconcealed pinnacle of the social misery existing in our day. And he adds to that, 21 months I had the opportunity to become acquainted with the English proletariat, its strivings, its sorrows, its joys, to see them from near, from personal observation and personal intercourse, and at the same time to supplement my observations by recourse to the requisite authentic sources. What I have seen, heard and read has been worked up in the present book. I'm prepared to see not only my standpoint attacked in many quarters, but also the facts I have cited, particularly when the book gets into the hands of the English. I know equally well that here and there I may be proved wrong in some particular of no importance, something that in the view of the comprehensive nature of the subject and its far-reaching assumptions even an Englishman might be unavailable to, uh, unable to avoid. So much the more, so since even England... In England there exists, as yet, not a single piece of writing which, like mine, takes of all the workers. But without a moment's hesitation, I challenge the English bourgeoisie to prove that even in a single instance of any consequences, consequence for the exposition of my point of view as a whole, I have been guilty of any inaccuracy, and to provide it by data as authentic as mine. Now that sounds very combative when he um, wrote um, that preface Um, and he was expecting um, criticism um, and he was expecting his work to be dismissed and and ignored. And part of the reason for this is that both Marx and um, Engels held the, the English middle class, the English bourgeoisie, as they saw them, in particular low regard. Um, I think that they looked upon um, Britain as a, a, a kind of a valueless, cultureless vacuum where money had entirely corrupted the uh, character of the, um, the the middling sorts and had uh, resulted in this orgiastic free-for-all. Um, and he believed that it was 
the the middle classes of um, England that were in the greatest denial about the state of the country that they dominated. One of the themes of the book is the theme of um, alienation, that something, not just um, material poverty had happened to the working classes in Britain, but a spiritual poverty as well. That they had been divorced from the artisan um, economy that they had uh, existed in. Uh, put simply, most things were made by hand uh, up until the Industrial Revolution by uh, people at home, um, people who uh, wove, uh, dyed, tanned, leather-worked, um, who baked or um, who carved or, you know, all these many, 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 many things. And at the end of the process of making a thing, there was a sense of um, deep human satisfaction that uh, a product had been um, produced and that some of one's labours kind of meant something, that, that there was a relationship between one and the object. Um, the factory reversed that. Not only does uh, the individual within the factory not become a creator of anything, you actually become a factor of production because you're going into a factory. Um, the tasks in front of the worker are, are broken down into uh, small and repetitive uh, tasks. and The job is partly automated. It's uh, long, it's repetitive, um, it's unstimulating, and the mass-produced product at the end of it, one has very little sense of connection with, one has very little uh, sense of creativity. And uh, Engels believed that human creativity was um, an, an essential part of the, the, the process of, of being. Um, this is not really a controversial idea. It's been something that most um, psychologists, sociologists um, and uh, social observers have really embraced in the, the past um, 150 years or so. And um, his view of um, artisan life in Britain uh, prior to the Industrial Revolution is perhaps a little romanticised, let me tell you. So he says, Before the introduction of machinery, the spinning and weaving of raw materials was carried out in the working man's home. Wife and daughter spun the yarn that the father wove or that they sold. If he did not work it up himself... These weaver families lived in the country, in the neighbourhood of the towns, and could get on fairly well with their wages, because the home market was, al was almost the only one, and the crushing power of competition that came later, with the conquest of foreign markets and the extension of trade, did not yet press upon wages. There, obviously, he's talking about the development of the British Empire. There was, further, a constant increase in the demand for the home market, keeping pace with the slow increase in population and employing all workers. There was also an impossibility of vigorous competition of the workers among themselves, consequent upon the rural dispersion of their homes. So it was that the weaver was usually in a position to lay by uh, something and rent a little piece of land that he cultivated in his leisure hours, of which he had as many as he chose to take, think that's probably quite implausible, um, since he could weave whenever and as long as he pleased. 
True, he was a, um, a bad farmer and managed his land ineffectively, often obtaining but poor crops. Nevertheless, he was no proletarian and had a stake in the country which he, uh, he, um, in which he was permanently settled and stood uh, one step higher in a society than the English workmen of today. So the idea is that um, the conditions of the English working class had declined as a result of the Industrial Revolution. That world that Engels is describing, I think, is perhaps too romanticised to ever really have, have existed. It sounds like some kind of wonderful, relaxed um, and uh, generally very rosy existence. It's perhaps the world that you would create if you had witnessed the Industrial Revolution firsthand. Uh, but yeah, I, th I think that needs to be taken with uh, a pinch of salt. And in the for for Engels, the process of industrialization had dehumanized the working class. It had alienated them from the very the, their very core selves and their um, material activity in the world. So it was this writing uh, and th that um, influences. Um, most of Marx and Engels' thought for the next 30 or so years. And it also influences the generations of um, British social radicals who, who emerged, uh, people like uh, the, the Social Democratic Federation under Henry Hindman, um, the Fabians, uh, if you go all the way through to the... Um, uh, the, the Communist Party of Great Britain's um, historians, um, the likes of E.P. Thompson, um, who wrote uh, *The Making of the English Working Class*, the uh, the really the kind of the, the foundation stone of that book was um, *The Condition of the English Working Class* uh, in 1845 by Friedrich Engels. Um, Okay, so I've gone on long enough. I'll leave you now, and I hope you found that useful, and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.